Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today in order to support our show we need the help of some great advertisers and we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about but we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible so go to podsurvey.com slash art of man and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better that way we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip once you've completed the quick survey you can enter for a chance to win a 100 amazon gift card Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So most of us here, if you're living in the modern Western industrial democracy, live relatively safe lives. We're not having to defend our lives from marauding, bloodthirsty criminals or tribal organizations, but there's always the possibility that our life will be threatened by another human being. And what do you do in that situation? Well, my guest today has spent his life, his career studying and teaching on this topic His name is Tony Blauer. He's the developer of the Spear System. And today on the podcast, Tony and I discuss all things self-defense, how to develop our situational awareness, how to defuse threatening situations so we don't even have to use violence, which he calls fighting fire with water. And then we discuss what to do when you actually have to, you know, roll up your sleeves and get dirty and use violence. What's the best tactics uh, to do that? As well as some of the myths that are out there in the self-defense world. Really interesting podcast with some actionable tips that you can start applying to your life, kind of being ready for that situation. And uh, after the podcast is over, make sure to check out the show notes at aom.is slash blower for links to resources we mentioned in the podcast. All right, Tony Blower, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you, man? Well, I, I know I've been following you on Instagram for a while. I've been reading your content online. Uh, you've got some great uh, courses out there, video programs um, about self-defense and uh, just being prepared for those situations you hope you'll never be in, but you want to be ready for. Can you tell us a bit about your background? How did you um, come to you know develop the SPEAR system? Like, What is the SPEAR system and uh, just what your general you know, curriculum vitae, right? Yeah, so you know, that's like one of those questions. I don't, I don't even know where to start. Uh, the real Reader's Digest version of that is, um, you know, I grew up in the '60s, and for whatever reason, I felt like I had way more fear than any other person in the world. Uh, and um, it was, it was one of those weird things. Like, uh, uh, I mean, I was always worried about you know someone jumping out from behind a corner. And it was funny if you think back to the uh, the old. Uh, uh, Clouseau, you know, Inspector Clouseau, Pink Panther yeah. stuff of, you know, Cato jumping out. And, um, uh, it was just weird. I just always thought about it. I was drawn and fascinated to the, uh, uh, Wild Wild West and Bruce Lee and the original Green Hornet, you know, black and white back in the days, just stuff changing the color. And, uh, I was mesmerized. I was transfixed by that stuff. And uh, I wrestled when I was a kid and then, uh, the Bruce Lee craze hit and I got into the only school near us was Taekwondo. Um, and, uh, I got into a couple of confrontations, you know, like any kid does and, and realized because I was really studying all of Bruce Lee's, you know, message and, 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 uh, his methodology, I realized that, uh, uh, you know, my wrestling and my Taekwondo, I didn't have any striking skills. And the first real fight that I had, um, you know, I almost, uh, uh, I almost lost it, but it was, uh, it was, it was real emotional and psychological for me. I was very frustrated by why my heart was pounding and why I had this adrenaline dump and, and cause nobody ever talks about that stuff. And, uh, I didn't understand that, you know, the, the psychology of fear and, uh, and, uh, you know, that's our big, big thing now, all these decades later. And I realized, uh, so I went and stu- I studied boxing 
because I saw that as a as a big uh, as a, I saw you know the, the you know no hands as a big hole in the game if you will or in the arsenal and um, started boxing you know had some crazy sparring confrontations there that were worse than any street fights I've ever had I mean uh, and uh, it wasn't a you know I always had a dream of of teaching self defense you know. I remember my mom asking me when I was like 13 years old, what are you going to be when you're older? And I, she said, you want to be a doctor or a lawyer? And uh, I said, no, mom, I'm actually going to, you know, I'm going to kind of start my own self-defense system like Bruce Lee. You know, and she asked me while I was reading a Bruce Lee magazine, right? You know, and she pat me on the head and go, okay, honey, we'll talk about this when you're older. You know, and, and it's funny, and I, and I joke about this anytime we talk about this, you know, uh, you know, it's now, uh, uh, you know, you know, 43 years after that question. And, uh, I joke that my mom still doesn't know what I do, but I think she's proud of me. Um, <laughs> but you, you know, the, you know, the funny thing about this is like the, the evolution to what brought me here hasn't changed from me as a kid, trying to understand fear, trying to understand situational awareness, and then trying to figure out uh, why I was just, I was just talking uh, this, this weekend with, uh, you know, one of the world's you know, best athlete, a competitive athlete. And we're, I was doing some mindset coaching and, uh, and I shared the story about me as a competitive skier. Cause, uh, yeah, uh, concurrent to all my martial arts, I was very, very, um, competitive in skiing. I grew up in Canada and, uh, I tell the story at our, our performance talk. So one of the things that we do now is, is talk about, we do seminars on, on mindset and fear management, uh, pre pre event, and it could be I've got a uh, public speaking. I've got to um, uh, I've, I'm going to compete, uh, whether it's a jiu-jitsu tournament or uh, uh, you, you know a CrossFit competition. And and what's interesting is it comes back to that same same stuff of that if you don't manage your fear, you can't optimize your performance. And that could be literally. And let, uh, let me let me reframe this and rephrase it for you if fear throttles everything we do in our life from how much money you make to where you work to who you marry to uh, how much weight you can lift uh, to whether you take up a new skill and most importantly whether you defend yourself and what we've noticed between victims and victors is the difference is what they do with the fear the thoughts of fear before the event because during the event if you get into the fight and you probably know this from things in your life um, that when it actually starts and you start doing it, the fear dissipates. Right. You know, it's it's all that that the you know the build up, and that's the difference between like you know we ask the question in our in you know in our talks is what's the difference between choking and freezing? Is it just semantics? And um, and uh, you know we explain it as that an untrained person freezes, a trained person chokes. In other words, they let the pressure get to them. They had the skill, they knew the, they knew the game, they understood what to do, but they still choked. So anyways, all of this, I'm trying to compress the, how did I start? What's the background? What's the pedigree is, uh, you know, I was, uh, uh, focused on the, the kind of the, the, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, you know, how do I get, uh, you know, how do I get more functional tools? So my focus was, oh, I'll, you know, I'll get some boxing tools. I'll get some Taekwondo tools. I'll get some grappling tools. But none of those, the, you know, the, 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 the purchase of the tool, whether, you know, whether you actually bought it, you know, uh, maybe if I get these new boxing gloves, I'll be a, a better boxer, right? You know, it's like that whole, right. you know, if I train with this person, you know, I'll get better. And you do to a degree. I don't want to knock that. I don't want any of your listeners to misunderstand this. None of those things addressed what was going to stop me from throwing a punch or stop me from verbally diffusing or stop me from being a courageous bystander in life, whatever it is. Right. And so, uh, and you know, I was talking uh, to this athlete, I was telling you that in, in, and I was sharing the story as a skier, I never won a race, but I was considered one of the best skiers on my team. I always lost control. I always wiped out. I always caught a tip. I was always going too hard. And years later I was thinking, why was that? And I realized that I always skied scared. I was afraid to let down my parents. They're both on the ski patrol. My father was vice president of the National Ski Patrol. People thought I was going to represent Canada in the Olympics. That's how good people thought I was, like as a raw talent developing. And I was so scared that they were right. 
And I used to think to myself, if I'm so, if I'm so good, like everyone says, you're so good, Tony. If I'm so good, why was I so scared? Why did I feel like I wanted to projectile vomit? Why were my palms sweaty? Why did I butterflies in my stomach? And this is our big push uh, uh, now is recognizing that fear throttles everything we do. And if we don't manage our fear, we don't do what we thought we were going to do or what we should have done or what we had to do. And, and I came about this, this kind of epiphany through studying self-defense. And uh, uh, the, um, you know, I was working for my father, 1980, making four bucks an hour in his, in his uh, uh, he had a, man, uh, not a manufacturer, but an import-export business, ladies' clothing. And I was in the back. We just unpacked a bunch of uh, a shipment from the Orient, and they had these big, big crates. And I was punching the shit out of them and doing jump back kicks and just, you know, messing around before we threw the boxes out. And one of my dad's clients sees me. He pulls me over. He says, hey, uh, I know you're into all this, uh, all these martial art tricks. And back in the day, he was like old school. He called them tricks, right? Uh, he said, my son's having a bully problem in school. Would you train him? And this is literally how my business started. I was 20 years old. And I said, sure, Joey. And uh, he said, yeah, Mitch, he's 15. And uh, it was his son. He said, he's having a bully issue. And he says, I want you to take this seriously. I don't, I don't want you to, just because we're friends, do me a favor. I want to pay you. And I said, I can't take your money. And uh, he said, no, I want you to take this seriously. And I was making four bucks an hour. And he said, the house 20. So I'm thinking he wants five lessons, right? For right. right? And he goes, uh, I said, I said, I can't take your money. He says, I'm paying you 20 uh, uh, for, uh, I want you to, you know, plan this. And uh, suddenly I realized he's talking about 20 bucks an hour. And I'm like, holy. So I go and I plan this lesson and we start, I tra- start training this kid. And what am I teaching him? I'm teaching him a little bit of grappling. I'm teaching him a little bit of boxing. I'm teaching him a little bit of kicking. And he's, th- he's 15, right? So he's really upset. And, uh, you know, about this fight and, you know, it's, it's impacting his self-esteem and any bully situation affects everybody, but you know, you're 15, that's that age. Right. And, uh, you know, a couple lessons goes by and he says, Hey, when can I do something now? No, I want you and your listeners to understand this. This is our fixation, especially in North America is that if I get something, I cool, if I get a diploma, I can do something. If I get this degree, then I'll be successful. And we put our faith in something other than really, our own competence, our own confidence. And you can be overconfident and incompetent, right? But not the other way around. If you're truly competent, you will have confidence. Uh, and, um, and so this kid's going like, when can I do something? And I was always a bit of a sarcastic philosopher. So I said, I said, Mitch, let me ask you a question. I said, do you know how to throw a punch? Well, he goes, not really. I said, do you know how to move your head, slip block? Not really said, okay, uh, do you know how to move, you know, dance around? Now I'm just learning. I said, well, I suggest you don't get into a fight until you know how to do those things, right? It was one of those cute moments where I was trying to, you know, smack him upside the head and go, you have no toolbox. And this was the mistake that I made, and, it's, and it was the greatest, it was like the god of war hit me with this lightning bolt because about a month later, they had a fight. And I told him, avoid, avoid, avoid. So he's running through the back of the school. The kid's there with his, his buddies, sees Mitch coming around there late for class. He trips him. Mitch goes flying in front of like 10 or 15 kids, everyone laughing at him. His books go flying. He picks up all his books. So picture this. He's gathering his books and he's pissed and he's, and he's swearing. So he's swearing, you piece of, you know, and, and this guy gets, what did you call me? And Mitch, he's like at that, at that break point, right? And he's picked up his books and he shoves the kid. So he's got his books in his right hand. He shoves the kid with his left hand. He says, get the out of my face, man. I don't even know you. And he, you know, why you been bugging me since the beginning of school? And the guy's like, what are you going to do about it? Right. And they're in that bull testosterone, you know, posturing back and forth. And Mitchell grabs him, slams him against the locker bank and says, leave me the alone. And he's telling me the story. And I go, and he goes, he dropped me with a left hook. I said, Mitch, like, why didn't you bob and weave or, or do a block or do anything we told you? And he pauses and he kind of looks, he's like, looks inside of his mind to reconnect to the fight. And he says, oh, well, I was holding him with my left hand and I had my books in my right hand. And if you just picture that, like, you know, both your blocking and striking tools are tied up. Now, years later, we realized that there's a, this is all part of the SPEAR. So SPEAR is an acronym, is Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerated Response. And what we've done is like a 20-year study on the startle flinch um, 
uh, response. And what happens is um, the uh, when your when your body flinches, it contracts around whatever it's holding. And so, if you are holding something in your hands, uh, it could be a, a police officer with a flashlight and ID. It could be, you know, uh, uh, like a mom with grocery bags and her keys in the hand. If something happens when your body has a micro flinch, the cross extensor reflex locks up around there, and it's really, really important for people to know. So, at at this moment, here I am, 20 years old. He's 15 years old. He describes the fight, and I'm like, holy. Of course, he couldn't block or slip or bob and weave. He was holding the guy, right? Picture that. So what I did immediately is I, I, like, I realized, oh, my God, we teach self-defense wrong. And I meant we collectively, self-defense instructors. If you looked at back then, you know, in the, in the 80s, 90s, and even today, um, most people teach self-defense through uh, uh, trying to understand position. Okay, get me in a headlock. Okay, grab me here. Okay, hold a gun to my head. Okay, attack me with a knife. Not like this, like that, right? <laughs> and, we, and we unconsciously... Uh, uh, coordinate and choreograph our training and and so none of that develops any kind of situational awareness we talk about everyone talks about situational awareness but there are no drills for it in the context of mono mono self-defense nobody really does anything with verbal defuse and de-escalation and and so what i did right with him right then again this is 1980 i picked up his books i grabbed him and i said show me what happened and we worked it out and i realized okay you know, he knew, he would need to do this and do that, and you have to drop the books or throw them in the guy's face. He'd probably take a shot. Maybe he could push the guy away. And it was like this really interesting research, and it was the genesis of my approach to self defense. And what we would what we immediately started doing is looking at um, uh, evidence uh, through uh, through video and photo of real fights, and then we reverse engineered them. We'd go, okay, if this got to here, then what went wrong before that, and then. How do we change that? And it was, so it was purely studying real violence, not sparring for self-defense or martial arts for self-defense. And uh, that's, our, that's one of our big, big, big uh, um, goals you know, in 2016 is to re-educate the general public to understand that there are three categories of, of what looks like self-defense. There's martial arts, which, and I've been a martial artist for over three decades, four decades now, Martial arts is not self-defense. Martial arts teaches you complex motor skills that may or may not be applicable in a self-defense situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's physical movements. There's combat sports. Combat sports are not self-defense. Again, combat sports gets closer to violence because you're actually hitting each other. You're actually dealing with pain and the training and the conditioning, but it's still not teaching you about detect and avoid, defuse and de-escalate but you're getting closer, but it's still physical moves that may or may not be applicable in a self-defense situation. Like, for example, pulling guard and trying to get somebody in a triangle choke, amazing move, isn't a good move to do if it's a multiple assailant and you're the one, right? And, and there's all the bad guys. And so people misunderstand that and people are, 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 are subjective listeners, so they, they look at that and they fixate and, and then, you know, I'll get a whole bunch of hate mail, people saying, Tony said jujitsu is not good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, careful what you practice. You might get really good at the wrong thing for that scenario. There's only one type of self-defense, and that's real-world self-defense. And so if you look at the three categories, when you, if you say, I want to learn how to protect myself, you need to carefully go, wait a minute, there's martial arts and there's thousands of them. There's combat sports and there's maybe 10 legitimate combat sports. And then there's self-defense. And, and most people don't have a good definition for self-defense, and they don't even know how to define it and how to reverse engineer it so you can't possibly know how to practice it as effectively. And I tell people this, you can, you can learn to defend yourself in four hours. You can learn how to defend yourself in eight hours. In a day, you know, you know everything you need to know about protecting yourself. Uh, do you have all the skills you might want? Should you practice a little bit more? Yeah. You know? But it's like I could, I could teach you in four hours how to do CPR and first aid and the Heimlich maneuver, and you can... Uh, uh, actually save somebody's life, right? Prevent a death in four hours. But does that make you a doctor? No. no. And so that's, that's the big uh, epiphany, light bulb moment I need people to get is that, wait a minute, I don't need to be a doctor to save somebody's life. I need to be a doctor to do brain surgery or a heart transplant. And so you don't need to be a black belt to protect yourself. You just need to understand situational awareness how to manage fear, and then a couple of simple gross motor movements. So there, there's a lot un, un, unpacked there. That was awesome. Let's talk about this. <laughs> you talked about, okay, people don't know what self-defense is. 
they don't have a good definition for it. Like, what is your definition of self-defense and what does a good self-defense program look like? Yeah, so, so the definition is real simple. If danger is imminent, you do everything you can to choose safety. I'll say that again. If danger is imminent, you do everything you can to choose safety. And so, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about is, is that, you know, don't let ego or, or, or pride dictate your next strategy. If your, uh, if your training model doesn't include walking and running away from a confrontation, I remember doing scenarios, you know, we started doing these force-on-force scenarios back in the 80s, and I would say to the group, okay, confrontation is going to happen over here, and then you see that uh, uh, doorway, you know, near the bathroom and the exit of my school, if you can break contact and get to there, that's the police, that's security, that's, you know, uh, that's safety. And, uh, and I remember in, it was one of our first, first seminars, like I think it was like 1987, this guy, Larry puts up his hand. I go, yeah, Larry question. He goes, uh, with all due respect, Mr. Blauer, you know, uh, we came here to learn how to fight. I think we all know how to run, you know? And I said, Larry, your answer just revealed the biggest problem most males have and most people who get defiant in a situation. Why would you stay closer to danger because of politics or because of ego, because of pride? You don't know how this fight's going to turn out unless you've got some sort of crystal ball. So get the fuck out of danger, man. And so a, a true program. So, you know, like this is, this is over almost three decades ago, we created detect, defuse, defend, the three Ds. Detect and avoid, defuse and deescalate, and if push comes to shove, defend yourself, be your own bodyguard. And, um, and that's what, you know, when you say, hey, what's a good self-defense program look like? It's one that is professional and mature and takes into account the moral, ethical, and legal considerations and medical considerations of just just not being, you know, just having like this this brashness or bravado. I mean, I just there's so much stuff out there that when you watch, I just watched a, a video of of uh, some guy teaching his system where, like, on this video online and on his YouTube channel, he actually says kind of very caval not not even cavalier. Just he goes, if somebody kills somebody using my system, then they probably deserved it, and I'll be happy. And I'm like, whoa, dude, we live in the most litigious time of our world, like what a stupid, immature, unprofessional thing to say. You know, it's just the way it came across. It's that, it's that macho martial that gives us in the community like a bad rap with the general public. But our definition is super, super simple. And, and I, I, don't think, no, I don't think there's ever been a definition for self-defense. It's danger is imminent. You do everything you can to choose safety. Now think about that, Brett. Does that give you permission to run? Yeah. yeah. Does it give you permission to barricade yourself? Yep. yep. And does it give you permission to try and terminate the threat if you need to? If that's, yeah. yeah. So suddenly we have something that is so simple and so short. What do I need to choose safety? And it gives me this list, this move away from the danger to move towards the danger. But it, what it's, what it's actually asking my brain to do is to actually look at the stimulus, look at the scenario and then choose the response that, best support safety. Okay. And there's a more then that has a moral, ethical and legal uh, okay. uh, foundation. So let's talk about detect. Like how do you get better at detecting possible threats? Cuz like most of us for me, you know, I live in the suburbs of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's pretty nice, comfortable, everything's safe, everything's like so I don't have a lot of encounters with threat, you know. I don't I, I don't know if I would know or maybe I do know, right? right? On a on a primal level uh, what a threat would look like, but how do you get better at detecting threats? So, that, so there's, there's two simple things, and uh, that's a great question. Um, so I always tell people, every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale always said they had a bad feeling before an attack. Almost every single book and every person I've talked to, if, if they're open enough to let me peel the onion, they'll go, and yes, I did. So I've had people that go, um, no, it just happened, I, you know, just out of the blue. You know, and I go, well... Very few things happen out of the blue. And the bottom line, if something happens out of the blue, then like there's no system that's going to prepare you for that, right? Right. So we can only train for uh, the stuff that that you can see, that you can feel. And so there's a part of now. Here's an interesting thing. Our system, Spear, it's all based on on startle flinch. It's based on emotional and psychological <laughs> readiness. So it's based on this emotional uh, um, startle flinch component. And the the uh, connection between physiology, psychology, and behavior. And so, 
it's interesting. The DNA of our system is an 80,000 year old. It's what Kate, like I was in one of the jokes I make in our seminars. I go, first of all, uh, if you're a pterodactyl, can you put up your hands? I know they're short, but put up your hands. And, you know, everyone kind of looks around and some people smile. I go, there's no pterodactyls here, right? They're dead, right? They're extinct. But there's humans here. How did you get here? So one of the things that I talk about in our course is recognizing that we are all human weapons. That before the walls were put up around the city, and somebody said the cavalry is going to save us and we've got a militia outside the walls and we're at war. In other words, there was a time when you had to fend for yourself, you had to cook for yourself, you had to hunt for yourself. And as we got domesticated as a culture, uh, these survival requirements became dormant or domesticated. But they're inside each one of us. What we're, what we're lacking because we're a little coddled as a generation um, is, is the ability to identify fear, manage or, or identify the problem, manage our fear, and then be aggressive. And, um, and so coming back to your question is like you said, maybe it's primal, it's in me. It is, absolutely is. You will know when you have a bad feeling about something because it's a feeling that's bad. And I'll tell you this, like, I try to make things like I go, if Ernie and Bert from Sesame Street were going to phrase this, what would they say? Because, you know, we, we can use, you know, you know, the big words and, and talk about, you know, uh, uh, you know, like, like terms like circumstantial spontaneity and, and, uh, you intuition, know, you know, yeah, well, the, the thing is like, again, getting good definitions and trusting, we talk, you know, you bring intuition up and we, you know, I live, I, I try to keep things in, in, uh, um, easy to memorize phrases. So people who spend a day with us, uh, leave there and everything's in their brain. So your reticular cortex in your brain is the part is a part of your brain where, where you say, Hey, this is important for me. Watch out for this. Uh, you store that. And the reticular cortex is actually part of developing situational awareness. So if you read a little bit and study a little bit about, you know, some of the habits or some of the setups, and you think about that, you visualize it, you put it in your brain. So for example, let's say you decide to buy a new car, or you decide you're going to move and rent a house or get a new apartment. And think about a time you did that in your life, probably the next day when you said, that's it, I'm moving, where am I going to move? You started noticing all these for rent signs or for sale signs. Now they were there that morning, right? But until you said to your brain, this is important for me to look out for, right? I'm going to buy a new car. What's my price range? What's that? I'm going to pick this car. Suddenly you see five of them on the road that week and you're like, oh, there's one, there's one. That's cool. Uh, but they were there the same, you know, the, yesterday. You just didn't notice them because it wasn't important. So part of developing situational awareness, you know, for people who maybe aren't going to get to a course and just think about this, is when, um, if there's a trend, like in, when the knockout game was going around, or if there's, a, 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 you know, things that the, the, the police or the news or a good article says, this is how this pickpocket or this mugging or this carjacking is going to get set up. As scary as it is to think about it, Think about it, visualize it, and then let your brain go, okay, that would be important for me if I saw those pre-contact cues. But the real pre-contact cue is the bad feeling. And the bad feeling is we tell people, listen, if you get a bad feeling about something, spend those extra five minutes and address it. If it was a, 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 a false alarm because you're just maybe paranoid or overthinking something, guess what? You're still safe. It comes back to choose safety, right? I've got a bad feeling. I think that car's following me. Should I ignore it or should I pull into this gas station here and see if they pull into or should I drive to the police station or should I, you know, speed up and if they follow me, I'll drive home and then they'll know where I live. Oh, wait, you know what I'm saying is like, so you can do little things where you find out, oh, you know, that person isn't following me and I just misread that. Well, guess what? You're safe. But if you ignore it, maybe they're getting closer. And if you completely ignore it, maybe what was going to happen ends up happening because you ignored it. So those are two really simple uh, ways. A third one that's a great one is to think about if you were going to remember, here's, a, here's a, a, another thing I want to share with your listeners. Bad guys only want one of three things, property, body, or life. That's the list. I mean, I, I try to keep things in, in threes. Everything's threes, three eyes, instincts, intuition. If you trust your instincts and you trust your intuition, whatever you do will be intelligent. Uh, you know, uh, bad guys only want one of three things, property, body, or life. So the third way to develop great situational awareness is actually to spend an hour or a day or a weekend kind of observing yourself and your routine and going, when would I attack Brett? When would I attack Tony? Because I know my routine better than anyone else. So you want to case right? yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So you kind of like, you know, and it's pretty easy to follow yourself because you're right there. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like detach a little bit, you know, and, you know, find yourself like, oh, here I am at the ATM. I just took out a hundred bucks cash. I did not look around for any shady characters. I'm on my cell phone telling my buddy I'm going to be uh, late for the movie. You pick up tickets uh, and, uh, 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 you know, I'll pay you back after. And I'm not looking around as I'm stuffing 20s in my pocket and I'm on my phone, so I have no situational awareness. Like, that would be a moment where you stop and go, that was dumb, right? Like, like if somebody was looking at me just to sucker punch me, grab my phone, grab my wallet or come up, right? So you look at those things as how do I behave in an underground parking lot? Where am I standing in an elevator? Uh, you know what? You know how am I handling myself? You know in in this you know in this bar. I just bumped into a guy, and uh, uh, you know he was a, he was a real asshole, and I apologized, and and I went over and, and and ignored him. I didn't watch to see if he was drinking and looking at his buddies and pointing. I mean, there's simple things that you do where you go if if this wanted if this person wanted to escalate this, I'm not even thinking about that. Gotcha. Right, so let's move on like, to d- diffuse. Cause I think a lot of yep. guys who are listening to this, and I think a lot of men have a problem with this aspect, is like they want to, like, they, they see a threat and they want to do something about it. But you argue your next step should be diffuse or fighting fire with water. Um, right. So, how, what's, what's, how do you diffuse a, a threat? What, what's, your, what's the approach that we should take? Right. I, I really recommend you don't throw water in a person's <laughs> yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Probably, yeah. That would yeah. probably yeah. just yeah. escalate. So yeah. So the uh, exactly. So the uh, the uh, the water fire thing was a metaphor for anyone listening. We don't literally mean, you know, throw right. water in the person's face. He might punch you right after that. So 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 detect and avoid all, works almost all the time. If it doesn't, it's usually because you have a situation like in an office, in an elevator, you're in a confined space, or it's a situation where um, part of your routine means that you're always going to see that person. So you need to be able to verbally uh, diffuse and de-escalate. So in that, in that process, what we're talking about is, is understanding uh, a concept we call choice speech. And in choice speech, it's understanding language that's going to create count- conscience and accountability that's going to make the person reflect on things. It's also using language that doesn't um, you know, fan the flames of the confrontation. Someone says, hey, what are you looking at? And you look at them and go, you know, I'm looking at you. What's your problem, man? You know, what are you looking at, man? It's like, I'm just trying to figure out how ugly your parents are. You know, like, <laughs> you're, like shit like that, clearly, you know, it's going to, uh, it's going to create more of an adrenaline dump. It's going to create more of an adrenaline dump in the bad guy. So um, the, the, it's, it's really each scenario is different, but it's thinking of, again, that language that's going to be congruent with avoidance. And so it's, you know, you know, and, and at times you, you might, you might yell at the person, get the fuck away from me, man. Like, you know, like, like just go, go with what you feel like the scenario will always influence and dictate. Um, but in general, the, the verbal views and it's and it's interesting, you know, that might seem confusing to someone listening going, Hey, how do you like, how do you aggressively assert yourself and consider that a verbal defuse? If the, if the, outcome was the person left you know mm-hmm. so you might have to hear somebody uh um jiggling at your door and and you scream to uh uh your roommate who isn't there you know bob get the shotgun right now somebody's trying to break in right you know and there's no bob right right but you're like alone freaking out and you like you you know there's two guys outside your door trying to you know they might hear that and you know whereas if you said like uh Hey guys, you know, I'm home alone right now. I really don't know anything about self-defense. I think, you know, you, you're breaking the law and you should feel bad about that. And, you know, uh, like, like defusing it like that, you're probably going to get the door kicked in. Right. And so that's what I mean in, in a cartoony fashion here that there's times to, you know, be, uh, uh, verbally aggressive and assertive. And there's times where you're just, you're just talking to that person. That's that conscience and accountability. Um, and, uh, I think people need this. It's a little bit deeper. People are really a lot better at this than they realize. Don't overthink this. You know, we, we sell ideas every single day. You know, a guy trying to pick up a girl is a great salesman. Here's why you should go out on a date with me. Um, uh, you know, you know, if you're a salesman, you're, you're great at it. And so what we're doing is we're selling the idea of, we don't want to fight. And I had a confrontation once, um, and it was very funny. I'm, I, you know, originally when I, 
conceptualize this whole D2 concept, it was all about, you know, being peaceful about it and trying to resolve this without any violence. And uh, I had these two guys in my school uh, who came in and, and they were, you know, they turned out to be jerks and, 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 uh, and uh, you know, I spent like 15 minutes talking to them. And, and then, you know, they said on the way out, you know, I said, hey, man, why don't you guys come in and try a class? And they went, no, it's okay. We're training somewhere else. We just wanted to see. And I realized that they had just been there checking out the school. You know, they were like secret ninja spies. And, um, and I said, oh, well, you know, you could have told me that right in the beginning. I would have told you, you know, I didn't, you know, I've been here explaining the courses and, the, and, and our structure and everything. You could have saved me the time by being a little transparent. You know, it's cool. You're from another school. Uh, you could have just said, hey, what's different about this? We just would have talked about stuff. And, you know, you still could have come in and tried a class, but you didn't have to pretend you were, you know, and they kind of like looked at me. And then one of them said, uh, you know, uh, you guys do any multiple salient drills? And I'm like, you mean like if you two like attacked me and like they just kind of like looked at me like dicks. And I said, here's what's going to happen, man. I got really angry. I said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to fight, but I'm going to break your leg. I'm going to bust your knee. And, and then you're you. And I looked over at his buddy and I, then you're going to freak out and you're going to run because you're a chicken. And you're going to leave him here. But I'm a nice guy. So what I'm going to do is I will call you an ambulance and tell them, you know, what happened. And uh, and that's how that would go down. And I was like angry, right? And they just looked at me and they went, hey, cool down, man. You know, we're, you know, we're just asking a real question. I go, yeah, sure you were. And they left. And I called up one of my buddies and I was furious with myself because I lost my cool, right? And I was pissed. And uh, uh, I think I was like 25 or 26 at the time and uh, uh, much, much less mature than I am right now. You know, a little ego in there, but I was angry that I'd been kind of duped and misled for 20 minutes. And uh, I called up my buddy Walt and I said, dude, you know, Mr. Verbal Defuse, guess what I just did? I just told the guy I was going to break his fucking leg and then call him an ambulance because I'm a nice guy and I was in his face. And, and I go, so much for Mr. Verbal Defuse, right? And my buddy Walt pauses and he goes, so how'd the fight go? And I go, now they left, you know. He goes, so you didn't fight because you verbally diffused it. I go, what? He goes, you know, and he says to me, not all verbal defuses are going to be like touchy-feely nice. Sometimes you assert yourself. And it was, it was an interesting paradigm shift for me because, you know, I was kind of like, you know, had this myopic view that it had to be, you know. So the balance there is, again, what I said earlier is that you want to, whether you go soft or whether you go hard with the verbal, the goal should be based on the definition, am I doing what I need to do to choose safety here? Hopefully, hopefully that helps. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, and there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Texas Pete is the sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. Each Texas Pete sauce is packed with a bold, balanced flavor. The signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. Their hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and it's not for the faint of heart. They also got a flavor called Sabor by Texas Pete, adds authentic Mexican flavor. And they also have a dust-dry seasoning that matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. But... The flavor that I've been enjoying lately is these chops, sriracha sauce. It's got chili, garlic, and some tropical tangy notes. It's really good. I love putting it on my eggs. Texas Pete sauce like you mean it. Visit texaspeat.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And you can use promo code podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. That's podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeat.com. 
check out the sriracha cha sauce. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. No, that, that was really helpful. So moving on to defend, right? And you said like, you don't really need to defend. You just need to know a few gross motor movements. You don't need to know any katas or like how to do arm locks. I mean, what are the like the basic gross motor movements you need to know to defend yourself, to be a human weapon? Yeah, so so one of the things that we do in our in our one and two day courses is we show uh, video interviews and, and some footage and talk about people who've had absolutely no training but have fought off like home invasion or carjacker or attempted murder or attempted rapist, right? Like, like it's not, we're not like going, see this guy doing a double leg here, here's how you stuff that. Right. It's not like sport versus sport. And, 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 and let me put this down for anybody who's like a little myopic and selective listener here. You know, I'm friends with some of the best fighters in the world, war fighters who kill terrorists. Uh, I'm friends with some of the top MMA champions in the world. I love all that. What I'm saying here is that your personal defense and combat sports are different things. You can't do a weekend seminar with us and then jump in, uh, a cage and fight a trained fighter or an, even an amateur boxer because when you agree to their l- rules, they're going to tear you up. They will light you up. Um, but what we're doing is is by uh, uh, thinking that that's what the fight will look like or that's how it'll go, what we're doing is we're subordinating ourselves to that event and we're visualizing what people who are skilled in that are going to do to us. And that's not at all what self-defense is like. And so when I think, when, you know, if I ask somebody, what do you describe some self-defense moves? They'll say things like uh, elbow, knee, punch, headbutt. I say, okay, and so describe a scenario. Somebody's grabbed me like this and I do that. In other words, they've already seen themselves getting attacked. And then they're thinking about a physical move, almost like a Houdini situation. And I look at most self-defense is like Houdini self-defense. And what I mean by that is he's agreed to have somebody uh, tie his hands behind his back, put chains around his feet, put him in a box, and then submerge him in water, right? In other words, you know, you need to be really skilled to get out of that. And then everyone goes, holy right? And so when we see you know, uh, the choreography in the John Wick movie, uh, if you saw that, great choreography. And when we see, uh, you know, demos of the best jiu-jitsu guys, the best Thai boxers and all that, we go, man, wow. And it is truly amazing. But if those guys were in a sudden street attack, they would be just explosive 
you know, with one or two moves and the bad guy would be dropped or down. They wouldn't get into the, the highly technical uh, and some of the stuff that took them years to cultivate uh, uh, would never even be called upon in that, in that sudden self-defense situation. So what we want is really uh, a, a simple uh, a gross motor, primal gross motor movement, core to extremity uh, movements. And so if you can do a push-up, you can do a palm strike. If you can do a press, you can do a palm strike. If you can do any movement where uh, your, you know, that, that movement where your hands, so if somebody was in your face with a knife, with a gun, grabbed your throat, grabbed your shirt, was threatening you, your, your startle flinch would immediately lock and load your hands. And so, um, you know, I don't know. We've got a ton of videos online if people, you know, look at that stuff. They can, they can you know, research this themselves. But, you know, suddenly there's a jack-in-the-box moment where the bad guy's right there or you're in that verbal situation and you're going, hey, man, I'm like, trouble. and next thing you know, it escalates quick. Your hands will come up as you're trying to. This is, again, behaviorally based. Your hands are going to be up almost like you're patting the air in front of the guy going, hey, man, like, take it easy. Your fingers will be splayed. Your arms are going to be outside 90. And, and what your listeners should, should look for is our outside 90 fingers splayed some of the spear drills so they see this, this they get a, like a physical representation of what I'm describing here. Um, and from that movement, you can actually fire, uh, you know, finger jab, palm strike, forearm, elbow, right from those movements. What we teach people in our real close, uh, in, in our, 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 like our confined space, be your own bodyguard, our CrossFit defense course, our one day PDR course, any one of these courses, we've got different programs, for, let's say for, you know, for, for different uh, uh, categories of person based on their occupation or their background is uh, we're just using what we call, uh, uh, you know, this human weapon system movement pattern. And if you think about, uh, you know, pushing away danger, if I, if, you know, you're standing beside your wall right now and all of a sudden you heard a big crack and you looked and the wall started to come down, the first thing you do is flinch and then your hands exactly would come up and you would slam. If you thought you were going to get crushed by the wall and you were close to it, your hands would slam against the wall and push it up, push it up there. Um, if I said, hey, Brett, come over. I need you to help me move a couch up, up my stairs. And you're like, I hate moving. But, and you were at the bottom, it'd be that same core extremity. You'd lower your center of gravity. You'd be driving from your feet, through your hips, through your core. But your hands would be up outside 90 if you're pushing a car out of some mud or out of, you know, uh, uh, out of the snow and you're standing, you know, behind the car and your buddy was trying to get the wheels to catch, you'd be in the same position. So this is a movement uh, 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 pattern using this kind of like intuitive kinetic chain. It's explosive. It's got way more power than a sidekick or, a, or a, a palm strike at close quarter. Um, and that's what we have our big go-to move is that your hands are going to be up. How do you just smash somebody with your palms? You know, and every martial art teaches a palm strike, but the way we teach it is it, it's coming out of the startle flinch. And that's the secret sauce. If they're, you know, if we're going to go, well, why is yours, you know, this or that it's what we're, we're using kinesiology and physiology to get people to connect to it versus a complex motor skill. And, um, so we teach, uh, you know, ex extreme close quarter elbows. You know, when you flinch, your hands are coming up, your rotator cuffs at this point are your best friend. So if the bad guy's real close, when you flinch, ripping an elbow straight up or across. So if you think about this, if I say, hey, pretend you're in your car and put your grab for your seatbelt. So you visualize this. If I'm sitting in a driver's seat and I go, cop, 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 put your seatbelt on, and you swing your arm across to grab your seatbelt, right? Like that's, that's a horizontal elbow. That elbow will slice somebody open, right? So you've got you to make contact with the person. You know, if I, if, you know, if you got like a, um, an itch in the middle of your back and you reach up to scratch your back, that's a vertical elbow and scratching, you know, so what we do is we're demystifying the whole martial connection and we go, you already know how to move this way. You already know how to throw this tight elbow, this short elbow. You already know how to palm strike. Um, uh, you know how to throw a knee. I mean, if you, if you can put your, uh, your foot up on a shoe and, and uh, I'm sorry, put your foot up on a chair or a, a park bench and tie your shoe before you're about to go for a jog or a walk, you've got the range of motion opening and closing your hip to do a knee. Um, and so in extreme close quarter, gouging somebody's eyes, pulling somebody, throwing an elbow, throwing a palm strike are simple, simple moves that somebody literally in a, in a couple of hours can you know, be guided through by you know, one of my trainers just shows you a couple of little patterns. Uh, and, and we have you do drills. We do drills like in the air, on person and then on targets uh, so that you get to, you know, develop a little aggression. But if you just play with that stuff, like every time, like, do you, do you ever do push-ups? Yeah. 
Okay. So when you do a push-up, you're probably thinking about your posture and the plank position and your shoulder position. Next time you do push-ups, I want you to pretend that this is the kinetic chain of a palm strike. And that every time I do a push-up, if I'm visualizing uh, that the floor is my opponent's face and I'm driving away from it, your push-up will get a little faster, a little bit more aggressive, but you're connecting it to a stimulus response. And so um, it's kind of a, a neat little awareness piece. And so the next time you're standing in front of somebody with your hands up, which is basically, you know, part of that push-up position, you're saying, hey, man, seriously, get out of my personal space. Just back off. I said, I'm sorry for cutting you off or, or whatever, to, you know, whatever the scenario is that you're trying to diffuse. And now suddenly you realize that this went from imminent danger to immediate danger, right? That moment where you're, okay, it looks like we're going to fight, but I'm going to be morally and ethically reasonable here. I'm going to try and defuse this. You know, I just saw him ball up his fist and now he's lo he's locking and loading and things are going to slow motion. You're already loaded. Boom, those hands fire out. And that's just your push-up position. So you said something that's interesting um, when you asked me the question about to explain a little bit more about the defense stage. I want people to have this light bulb moment in this in this interview right now. I You're not, if legally, morally, and ethically, we're not teaching you to fight. We're teaching you to fight back. If you cooperate with a predator, you get whatever was going to happen before. It's a choiceless choice. That means if somebody was going to, if someone was going to uh, 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 mug you, uh, if someone's going to rape you, someone's going to move you to segregate crime scene, torture you, and then kill you, if you cooperate with them, whatever was their plan is going to happen. All right. So we're not teaching you to fight. We're teaching you to fight back. Um, and I think that's a huge thing that I want everyone to kind of pause and think about uh, is what is fighting back? Fighting back means danger went from imminent to immediate, and I need to protect myself or my family. Gotcha. So I mean, what are some big myths about those those situations where you actually have to defend yourself that a lot of you see a lot of people have about self-defense? Like, you know, what role does do weapons play in self-defense? Is our most encounters that we're going to have, are they going to be close encounters where we're actually not going to be able to get to a weapon? We'll have to use our hands. I and mean, what are some of the big myths out there about self-defense? I, th I think uh, uh, one of the really, really big ones is... Um, like concealed carry and weapons. And, um, you know, you, you know, if you're in an active shooter situation, uh, if you're in an active shooter situation and, and, and you have concealed carry, that's a great tool to have. If you're not like in the kill zone when, when something's happened. And even then, you know, it's still a great weapon to have, but most confrontations, most confrontations are, uh, at least the ones that you can actually influence the outcome happen at extreme close quarters, right? And so uh, you need to have this startle flinch convert. You need to have like when that holy shit moment happens, I call it the jack-in-the-box moment, right? We had at a couple of seminars, uh, uh, an old jack-in-the-box, and uh, I said, here's what I want you to do. You know the clown's going to pop. You don't know on which turn it's going to pop. I said, I want you to put your fingers up, like ready to do like a finger jab, like in the Three Stooges, right? And I want you to get right there, like right where the lid is. And I want you to, when the cloud pops up, I want you, as it's coming out, I want you to finger jab it, right? And nobody can. And so here's an example of what I mean by this false confidence when self, with self-defense. I know the clown's going to pop. I just don't know when. And I still couldn't hit him. In other words, between stimulus responses, gap time. And so this is the false dichotomy of, oh, I've got this belt, I've got this level, or I've done these 10,000 reps. Think about this. I've done 10,000 hours, I've done 10,000 reps. I'm really good at being out of a headlock. I'm really good at escaping this move. I'm really good at doing gun disarms. What people don't realize is when you say that I've done all this training to get out of this headlock, is that you've always done one more rep letting yourself get in a headlock. You've always done one more rep letting somebody stick a gun in your face so that you could do all those reps defending against the gun, right? And it's, it's a big, big, you know, when people have this realization during the course, they're like, holy. Now, don't, again, don't jump on this and go, Tony said that stuff, you know, you shouldn't do that. That's not good. That's all I'm saying. You need to know that. But what is more important is D1 and D2. How do I avoid this? What, what does situational awareness look like? What are the pre-contact cues? And, and, here's, and here's a big one. 
that most people think of situational awareness as an external skill. It's an internal skill as well, and it's of tantamount importance. It's, it's not a secondary thing. You might have a bad feeling before you pick up something external. You've got a bad feeling, you look around, oh, you know, my intuition picked up something and it sent me some sort of fear spike. And now what I'm trying to do is like decode that. I'm trying to read that. What is this feeling? Why do I have it? Um, but situational awareness is also looking inside your head and going, why am I still here? Why aren't I acting on this? One of the things that, that I like people to think about is just cognitive dissonance. That's like our brain trying to uh, pretend things are right, like correct things that we know aren't right and going, no, they wouldn't do that to me or that can't be happening. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the, the, the biggest thing, and I know this is like a, like just a short kind of like, uh, you know, compressed talk about 30 years of research, but there's so much information that we try to pack in it doesn't manifest itself either, you know, on game day or when we go to execute because of performance anxiety and we can't get out of our head. We, you know, and that's to me the biggest uh, secret that, uh, you know, or the area to look at, you know, for, for all your listeners is in anything in life is, you know, what is going to hold you back is going to be part of your belief system and part of your understanding of, of the psychology of fear. You will notice the biology of fear and the physiology of fear first. Those butterflies, that that nervous sensation, uh, you know, the avoidance to do something, and um, you know, and you get that fierce spike in your body. But that's the sign of: Am I going to use this as a trigger and as fuel to move towards what I'm perceiving as danger, or am I going to, you know, uh, shrink from this, and it's going to throttle uh, what I have to do? In you know, for me, obviously, my bias is self-defense, but there's something transcendent that happens. You know, when, you know, you do, you do a course where the focus is your, your safety and the safety of a loved one. And you get to the end of that and you go, you know what, my self-defense IQ has changed drastically and uh, I will protect myself or a loved one. And then if you look at that and you kind of use that as a, as, as a, a barometer against any other challenge in life, what could be more scary than a violent confrontation, like asking somebody out on a date, opening a business, uh, uh, you know, uh, asking somebody to uh, lower their voice or talk to you with a little bit more respect, like all of that pales in comparison to, you know, being in a D3 situation. So, uh, so it's totally, it's, it sounds like, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're trying to do more besides teaching people how to defend themselves. Like, it sounds like one of the goals of your, what you're doing too, is like, to yeah, like you said, transcend that as well and improve other aspects of their life. Is that? Yeah, I mean that's a serendipitous aspect of of the course. Like I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to have a a a, a, a a you know business card that says life coach, life coach, Tony Blower, yeah. life coach, you know, human weapon. But, yeah, but uh, but but you know, my focus is and has been for three decades plus teaching self defense. What we've noticed is you know. I'll get a letter from a mom who does the course, goes, hey, you know, uh, um, uh, I taught my son who's been terrified of swimming how to swim using some of your fear management principles. Thank you so much. Uh, email from a dad. Hey, I, I got my teenage daughter off of antidepressants using your psycho behavior and just sticking with her. And I'm like reading that going, holy, like, like, I, like I don't know how they did it, but there's something in the program that connected with them that gave them some sort of strength, some sort of roadmap to do that. Uh, we had, uh, um, uh, you know, a, a, uh, a CrossFit coach listen to one of our stuff and, you know, went out and, and uh, PR'd something that he'd been working on for 18 months and realized that he had been doing that lift in the fear loop, visualizing fear and failure and, and, uh, just seeing the map, we do, you know, we do this, this block called the uh, cycle behavior, which is the neural circuitry of fear, just what happens when your brain gets this fear spike. And uh, so people see it and, it, you know, suddenly it's like the, it, it clicks in their head and they go, I got to try that thinking this. And sometimes it's that simple. It's just an idea holding you back. Um, you know, so, you know, when I, when I was 13 as a ski racer, I would ski as hard as I could thinking don't fall. Don't fall. Like that's not the way to ski, right? You know. Right. So you know, if you're mountain, if you're on a mountain bike and you're going down a trail, 
and and you know you you're looking for rocks or you're looking for openings don't hit that rock don't hit that rock right you know or yeah, yeah. there's an opening there's an opening. and it's so simple uh you know you could be sparring with somebody and going i hope he doesn't counter me when i try this and you don't realize that you're right i mean you're just, it's just slowing down kinesthetic perception and proprioception right so if you have any doubt doubt creates hesitation that throws off the timing from your brain this the like this 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 uh, uh how your how your brain this uh, there's a, like a neuro association how your brain links up a symbol and how you're talking to yourself and if the timing is off just a little bit there it can change everything and uh it's very subtle but you know getting going back to you know uh, uh this transcendent stuff it's we throw it out there we say hey by the way you know if you can defend yourself do you think you can do all these other things that require you to take a deep breath and step towards the danger in your life, right? To get outside your comfort zone because, you know, and so there's like, there's, you know, 10 minutes where we talk about that transcendent value. I really believe, and like I said, this has been my passion since I'm a kid. Um, Start out telling you that, you know, that, that I didn't understand why I was so afraid, you know, as a wrestler, I was afraid as a skier, I was afraid I'd be walking around. I was afraid when I was in school, I was afraid. And this, I was this obsession with understanding fear led me to develop a self-defense program where, uh, understanding the difference between the physiology of fear and the psychology of fear was, was liberating for anybody who just started to use it. And it wasn't touchy feely, weird psychobabble stuff. It was just like, if I think this, I move like this. If I think this, I move with a little bit more flow. And, um, you know, it's not even, you know, uh, you know, what, you remember the no fear company? Yeah. 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 So, you know, I was doing a a talk down in in Miami at the Wadapalooza, this big, you know, fitness competition. And I did a talk to all the athletes. They have 1300 athletes there. And, and I did a talk to about four or 500 of them, uh, and I said, how many of you are nervous for this week? And like, you know, they just put their hands up. I go, listen, uh, you remember the no fear shirts? And they're like, yeah. I go, so the slogan, no fear is not cool. We think it is. But when you think that having no fear is where you need to be to perform, then you're always going to be performing with this kind of like unconscious weight of like, why am I scared? Why do I have butterflies in my stomach? Why do I... How come I don't feel so confident, you know, uh, confident right now? And, and I said, I want you to think of the no fear slogan spelled this way, K-N-O-W fear, no fear. That if I go, oh, there it is. If you embrace fear, if you look it in the eye, if you go, hey, you fear, and I wouldn't taunt it too much because of Murphy's Law. But, um, but you know what I mean? It's like, wow, I just got a fear spike there. What does that mean? Does that mean... Uh, I need to rethink my strategy. Does that mean I'm in danger? Does that mean I, in other words, it's, it's, it's like this blip on the radar. Think of the fear spike as a blip on the radar, like, like for like, you know, somebody who's like in the military and they get this blip on the radar and they go, okay, I need to check this out. And if it's nothing, we're good. And if it's something, what are our contingency plans for this? In other words, the blip, but to ignore it changes everyone's safety. And so the fear spike is a blip on your radar and you address it, right? And, uh, and that was the coolest thing. So it's not no fear. It's I got to get to no fear, which is uh, uh, embracing and understanding that, that, that fear can, can fuel, uh, you know, my next performance. This is awesome. Well, Tony, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, before we go, where can people learn more about uh, you and your programs and your work? Uh, probably the, uh, easiest thing to do is just go to our website, tonyblower.com. And, um, there's links to articles and videos, uh, you know, on that. We've got, uh, um, a ton of, uh, ton of resources there. We've got a, uh, a training page, which if you just click the calendar icon there, it'll take you right to it. But if you, you know, if, if you feel like writing down, it's reg online slash spear. So it's R E G o-n-l-i-n-e.com forward slash spear uh, but the calendar links there and what that page has is like uh you know uh about 10 videos that you can watch uh some articles and interviews and a list of all of our courses if you're law enforcement military we've got closed courses listed there if you're a uh, self-defense instructor 
who wants to join our team. I mean, our goal is to try and make the world safer. We've got a, a train the trainer program, and then we've got you know, uh, resources, uh, you know, for just individuals who you know want to come and just get this one day um, course and you know just get a little bit safer, better better awareness. Awesome. Well, Tony Blauer, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Brett. Thank you. My guest today was Tony Blauer. He's the developer of the Spear system. You can find out more about that and other stuff that Tony's done at TonyBlauer.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, I've gotten something out of it. I'd really appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. That helps spread the word about the show. And also just tell your friends about the show. I'd really appreciate that. As always, I appreciate uh, your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.